0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye singing dog. No! Bye goal.
1: I pronounce you. Bye a
0: wedding ceremony. Stop at Metro PCS. You get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K twenty plus phones with thirty two gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS, wireless figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.
1: You are locked on Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. On the Locked On Podcast Network, episode 294. Sam Ekstrom, Sage Rosenfels, the hosts. And you can win a subscription to Pro Football Focus by reviewing our show on iTunes. Leave your Twitter handle in the review and you'll be in the running for a $39.99 value package Pro Football Focus signature stats. Sage Rosenfels joining us on this Friday and Wow. Thursday night football seems like the past few weeks has taken a turn for the better. What a game last night. The Raiders get the win. Uh, They make us look silly for picking the Chiefs. Unscriptable finish with uh, about four or five chances for Oakland to win that football game, and they finally got it done. Wow. That was amazing.
0: Yeah, that was a fun game to watch last night. These Thursday night games, it seems like either they're terrible to watch or they're the best game of the week. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think the first one that was a good one this year was that Rams and, and 49ers game, that shootout. I think it was about 42 to 39 or something, uh, the final score of that game. And since then, we've had some pretty good Thursday night football games. And I, I, in particular, when they make them these division uh, rival-type games, uh, li- like the Chiefs and the Raiders, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, even when you're hurt and you're tired and you're beat up from a Sunday game, uh, you'll get up a little bit more for those rivalry games. And so that, that last night's game was a lot of fun to watch. Obviously came down to basically the last play uh, of the football game, or did come down to the last play of the football game and the extra point. And, uh, and as you said, uh, the, the Oakland Raiders got, uh, was it four four opportunities or something like that to basically uh, heave it into the end zone? And, uh, I, you know, there was, was the, the, the penalties were a bit nitpicky. I, I thought the one on the tight end, uh, being uh, the, the the defender guarding the tight end right over the ball, you know uh, you know right into the end zone, front of the end zone, right in the middle of the field. I thought that was a bit nitpicky. I thought there was just as much uh, a holding or, or shoving from the offensive players, the defensive player in that play. Uh, but other than that, I thought most of the calls you know seemed to make sense. And and the last throw by Derek Carr, people don't realize that's actually a fairly tough throw. Uh, you you really can't miss by much. You 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 are running to your left, which is always a little bit harder, and you know you're where you want to throw it. But if you throw it just you know two feet high, uh, the defender might be able to get his hand on that ball or something. You really got to stick it right on their chest. And Derek Carr made a very accurate throw on the most important play of that football game.
1: Yeah, play I want to ask about was the touchdown that was called back or or not called back, but ruled down at the half yard line. That fade to Cook in the front corner where it looked like Oakland had taken the lead. Then on review, he was down just just shy of the goal line. And it looked like there were two Raiders in the exact same spot after running the exact same route. And Romo picked up on that. Do you think that was a miscommunication? Why, Why would Oakland run two guys to the same corner of the end zone?
0: Well, they actually, I feel like it was about two plays earlier. They almost had the same thing happen. It wasn't with the tight end, but it was with two receivers out there, and one was in the slot. And basically what, what happened in, in that situation was the, uh, the slot wide receiver took an outside release. That was his best place to, to get vertical. That was where the most green grass was. The outside receiver took an inside release. Well, they're only about – you know, say eight or so yards apart to begin with, and when they both sort of converge together, next thing you know, uh, they're sort of on top of each other. So it happened twice, uh, and I think obviously the the last play, the the almost touchdown, the half yard line catch by the tight end. Uh, you know, he was just you know bigger and stronger and, and faster than you know pretty much anyone in that group of about five football players who were who are sitting there. So uh, one thing that was really interesting that I that I Caught in that game was that runoff that they did, mm-hmm. going back to uh, the same thing as that Detroit game uh, from about two or three weeks ago, where they, you know, they they were lucky that there were eighteen seconds left when he caught that ball at the half foot line uh, instead of eight seconds left. Otherwise, it would have been game over.
1: Yeah, it's very true, and that would have been, I think, an even more controversial moment and who knows whether or not they would have been able to get up and spike the football with that much time they probably would have to be honest it
0: would it would have been close I yeah. mean let's just say there are were nine seconds left when you know they see it on the clock it's you know his his rear hits the ground and they're on the half uh, yard line and it says nine seconds uh it would have been um real hard in real time to, you know, they would have made that correct call ball on the half-yard line, spot the ball and have all the players run up. It would have been very, very close. Um, I, 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 I can't say that call is the, you know, that rule is the right or wrong rule, but it seems to make a lot of sense. I mean, it, it, it does take probably at least seven, if not eight, nine, ten seconds to get up there and, and try to spike the football or, 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 or snap the ball to run some sort of play. And, uh, yeah, it would have been very close for the Raiders to try to get up on that ball and try to get one last play if uh, there wasn't a replay and the clock wasn't stopped.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure the league isn't just spitballing with the 10-second rule. I'm sure they've done research on it and figured out that that's the average, per se, of uh, how long it would take to spike a football. Let's talk a little bit of Vikings football. Minnesota plays Baltimore on Sunday. Teddy Bridgewater coming back to practice each of the last two days. And he told the media yesterday, speaking for the first time since training camp, that he absolutely believes he can play this season, that he believes he could have practiced weeks ago had he been allowed to. Sounds like his rehab really went off without a hitch for the last 14 months, which is pretty unbelievable. And it makes me think about the situation Case Keenum's in, and I'm sure you can relate. You've said in the past that, you know, he kind of reminds you a little bit of yourself. He's been given this starting role, sort of like when you were the starter for Houston back in 2007, 2008. When you were in that position, was there a part of you that, that couldn't help but sort of look over your shoulder? What do you think is going through Keenum's mind compared to what you were thinking about at that time?
0: Well, Case Keenum sort of is in that spot in his career where it seems like he's always the bridesmaid and never the bride. And, uh, and you know, when, when you're not drafted high, Uh, you're either undrafted, you're a 6th or 7th round pick, you sort of have to have a couple things go your way to sort of be given the opportunity. Uh, One, just to make the team, two, to move up from, you know, to the third guy to the second guy, and then to have a chance to really be a starter. Uh, You just don't get a lot of GMs going out on a limb, uh, you know, to do that. So he's always been the sort of behind-the-scenes guy that, yeah, when when, when, our starters hurt, you know, we got this pretty good backup, and he's coming. And he has played well. He he has played well, uh, really wherever he's been. You know, even in Houston when he was a young player, you know, coming out of college, uh, he has played pretty well. So if he would have been a second round draft pick, people would be you know clamoring him for you know to possibly start the rest of the season and just like let's just wait you know let let Teddy heal some more and yada yada. But I think just automatically in our mind since this kid was undrafted. We automatically think he's not that good of a player. He is a good player. Um, he's not lighting up the, uh, the stat sheet by any means. He's not throwing for 350 yards a game and, and three touchdowns. Uh, but he is doing what this team needs. He's managing the football game. He's completing passes. He's getting first downs. Occasionally he'll use his legs. Uh, but that you can just feel the energy on this offense has significantly changed over the course of uh, the last month, and in particular from last year. Uh, I, I feel like there's just a different thing going on here so the Teddy injury is really fascinating to me there's I think there's a lot there's a little politics going on here that we don't necessarily uh, you know, know all about you know I, I you know, Teddy did not want to go on that PUP list because it affects his salary for next year with this toll uh, in his contract that next year can be a very, you know one, I I think it's like 1.5 million or something uh, to be paid next year um, but if he, if he wasn't on the PUP list, you know, he'd basically be a free agent and I'm sure go out and get a really big contract. I, I would imagine that a lot of NFL teams would be interested in, in giving Teddy Bridgewater uh, at least Mike Glennon's contract, right? I mean, he's proven more than Mike Glennon proved, and Mike Glennon got three years, $45 million, $18 million guaranteed. So I'm sure Teddy's chomping at the bit to get a contract like that. So I think him saying that he felt he was healthier – Weeks ago, you know, a month ago, Mm -hmm. during the time he was on PUP, part of that might be a little politics. uh, For if there's some sort of, you know, arbitration or some sort of grievance filed by the league or by the players or or by by Teddy, you know, once the season is over, to try to get him into a bigger contract than that toll of. He said one point five or two million bucks or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, and I think there's still probably some gray area with that toll. And as clear as it seems to be in the CBA, there's there's some chatter saying that well now because he's going to get activated now the toll doesn't count, and and it may come down to uh, the league stepping in and sort of interpreting the rule for everybody. And I know there've been some. I think Ian Rappaport has been opining that. The Vikings will not toll the contract if he plays or something like that. It's kind of a mess. But I did project yesterday on the show that because of the way Case Keenum has played, that he has lengthened his career, whether it's with Minnesota or with somebody else. If he were to give the keys over to Bridgewater on Sunday, which he's not, he's got another start, that I think he has bought himself another several years in the league, whether it's as a starting quarterback, maybe uh, for a team that has uh, you know a younger quarterback they're trying to develop or a backup somewhere. Uh, would you agree with that? Oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, believe me, when I, when I played the most in my career in, in 2007 and eight, I had 10 starts and I'd played fairly well as six and four of a starter. I knew at that point uh, that I extended my career uh, you know, as well. And that's, that's what you're always doing as a young player. Um, Is any time you go in, if you play well, you hope that uh, that that uh, gives you some you know some time, another opportunity somewhere else, or or for that football team. So let's just say Case Keenum doesn't play another snap after this week. You know he has a fine game this week, and then they say, hey, we're going to roll Teddy Bridgewater, yada yada. I I would think at the at the very minimum next year Case would be one of the top backups paid in the league, uh, which would probably be three to four million dollars. Uh, but I actually think that there might be a team that says, "Hey, we're, we're going to let you come in and compete. Uh, give him a little bit more, maybe with some incentives, uh, if he ends up being a starter competing with somebody else, you know, out there." So, um, you know, cases at, at some point is going to have to decide if he wants to stay a Viking, uh, if he wants to go somewhere else. And the Vikings are going to have to decide, you know, if he continues to play at this level, should he be the quarterback next year? You know, should you know they love Teddy Bridgewater, but. Maybe maybe Case is the guy you know going forward. If somehow he wins, you know, three quarters of the rest of his games this season, they he wins a playoff game. Why would they stay with just that hot hand? And so you know, they, they, it's a, it's a good problem to have, I guess. So the Vikings. I remember uh, last summer, I read that article for the Score. That was pretty much that the Vikings are in this really. Weird, they have three quarterbacks, but they have none. You know, Bradford didn't seem like he was a the guy they're gonna roll with forever. Uh, you know, Keenum was the sort of backup that was a little unproven. And Bridgewater was was going to be coming off the PUP. So there's a lot of fog going on in that, in that quarterback situation for the Vikings. And we're still sort of in it, still sort of trying to wade uh, our, our way through it. But, you know, at least Rick Spielman and, and Mike Zimmer, they've got a couple quarterbacks that they like uh, rather than, you know, no quarterbacks that they like, which a few teams out there are in that situation.
1: Definitely true. And I could see the Vikings trying to retain Keenum in a backup role, telling him that, hey, uh, you know, let's assume it's Bridgewater. You know, We've got this quarterback. We, we like him a lot, but you never know what's going to happen with that knee. We're going to pay you a handsome backup salary, and you can stick around maybe play some games for us. You know, that might be a decent deal for Keenum to consider. He'd already know the offense. He's already liked in Minnesota. Uh, he might be around here for another year, unless he, of course, gets a starting salary somewhere. Uh, that would definitely change things. The Ravens on Sunday, we talked about it a little bit on Wednesday, but they're very banged up. Here's the injury report. These are the guys that have not practiced this week. Rashad Perriman, wide receiver. Matt Skura, interior lineman. Jimmy Smith, cornerback. Mike Wallace, the former Viking, did not practice yesterday with a back issue. Their tight end, Benjamin Watson. Ladarius Webb, defensive back. Terrence West, running back. Max Williams, former gopher, tight end. Tim Williams, outside linebacker, did not practice. It's just a laundry list of injuries for Baltimore in addition to the guys already on the injured reserve. Vikings, again, every time they play at home, it seems like they're playing a really banged-up team. It feels like a game they absolutely need to win. I guess the cautionary tale is, though, the New York Giants game, that if you put together a good enough game plan like the Giants did at Denver last Sunday night, anybody can win in this league if you're not careful.
0: Yeah, any given Sunday for sure, and, and nobody's so good in this league they can just sort of you know wake up out of bed on Sunday and sure, show up the stadium and go out there and just beat their opponent. It just doesn't happen. You know, There's a lot of guys making a lot of money. Uh, guys put it on the line every single week. Every time you walk on that football field, that is your resume. So they're going to have to play good football this week. They're going to have to protect the ball. They're going to have to play really well on defense. Uh, they're going to have to you know, try to run the football. Uh, as they've been doing better lately, and, and, uh, and receivers got to show up. So you, you have to lay it on the line every single week. Uh, I don't care if they're playing the Ravens. The Ravens have lost four in a row by 40 points. This is the NFL. They got a quarterback who has won a Super Bowl. Uh, nothing really seems to, you know, bother Joe Flacco uh, and their head coach uh, John Harbaugh. So they have to play well on Sunday if they're going to win. But I, I do believe if they go out there and they play their game, uh, they will win this football game.
1: I'm always going to ask you for an X factor going into these games, a position or matchup or player that you think is going to be vital for the Vikings success. I want you to hit me with a Minnesota Vikings X factor. <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm gonna go with the running backs. I, I see. I want to see more of these running backs, and, and it's been nice the last couple of games. Uh, McKinnon's played well, and I think Murray, you know, sort of has his role. You know, we we see what Murray is. He's not an explosive back, but he's just sort of a strong guy who can get some you know tough two, three, uh, four yard runs. He's he's sort of a multi-purpose. He's smart. He's good with protections. He does a little of this, a little of that. Uh, but it'll be nice to get these backs to end this O line to, you know, have a, you know, say 150 yards rushing this week. That'd be really nice to see. And, uh, but they're going you know, to like said, they're going up against a good team. And, uh, you know, this defense has always been very good in the past. Uh, so they're going to have to be, you know, on their P's and Q's on Sunday.
1: I'm going to go with the Vikings special teams unit. The coaches have been lauding Baltimore as having one of the strongest special teams groups in the NFL. I think the Vikings need to either force a turnover on special teams or score on special teams. They have the capability to do that. The punt return game really hasn't broken one yet for Minnesota. I think Marcus Sherrills might be able to get loose in this one. And I think the gunning unit, I think they, they've done a fantastic job limiting big returns. I could see maybe a muff punt in this game where they create a turnover, swing the field position, and the momentum. Maybe something early in the game to get the crowd into it. And uh, obviously, Kai Forbath has really locked down, and he's been much better since those handful of missed kicks early in the season. I'll go with the Vikings special teams unit as we go into our picks for this weekend. We'll do the Vikings last. Uh, standings update, Sage. You are closing the gap. I'm 14-10, and 10, and you're 13-11. and 11. You're one game back. So you're, you're closing in. You could take the lead this week.
0: I'm closing it. I'm closing it. But one, one last thing about what you said about the special teams, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that you pick special teams because that's John Harbaugh's specialty. That, that's what he was the Philadelphia Eagles' uh, special teams coach, I believe, and that's how he got that that head job. So um, I, I like the fact that you went right at the head coach's, uh, you know, main, uh, you know, aspect of a football team. And usually the Ravens have one of the best special teams in the NFL.
1: Yeah, battle lines are being drawn here. I'm not intimidated by John Harbaugh. Let's go with a game, not in the NFC North, but we want to have an even number of games here. Falcons at Patriots. Super Bowl Ooh. rematch. Uh, just worked out that they happened to play each other this year. It's not exactly at the scene of the crime because that game was in Houston. This game is in New England. But, uh, you know, the Patriots have sort of survived the past two games. They they snuck by the Bucks. They snuck by the Jets. Now they're at home facing a... a we think this is a good Falcons team, although they're coming off a couple bad losses as well. So Falcons at Patriots, New England is favored by three points. Who wins this one?
0: I like New England in this game by I think seven to ten points. Uh, there's something missing on this Falcons team, and you know, I'm a keep sort of wondering if it's you know Kyle Shanahan and uh, who was their offensive coordinator last year, and I like Steve Sarkeesian. But I sort of compare it to, you know, a chef in the kitchen. You might have the same ingredients, and the Falcons have a lot of those same ingredients as last year. But they got a different chef putting the whole thing together. And uh, I I just don't think Steve Sarkeesian's quite the the O.C. uh, as Kyle Shanahan was in Atlanta. So uh, Atlanta's not as good. Uh, They might be another one of those, you know, Super Bowl runner-ups that doesn't even make the playoffs the following year. It seems that NFC South is a very, very competitive division. So I've got the Patriots in this one. Even though the Patriots aren't great, I've got the Patriots in in this one. They just so rarely uh, lose at home. Uh, I think they're going to win this game by about a touchdown.
1: Yeah, prime time at home uh, after being on the road, I think two straight weeks. They struggled against the Chiefs at home in the opener and they struggled against the Texans at home and, and they barely beat them at the end. But I think they're due for a really good home performance. I think they beat Atlanta and uh, moved to 5-2. and two. Let's pick the Saints at the Packers. A lot of intrigue Ooh. here. Saints suddenly playing about as well as anybody. I think they've won three in a row. And it kind of started with a game in London. And obviously they killed the Lions with a big offensive week last week. They're favored by four against Brett Hundley and the Packers. Who wins this one?
0: Well, this one, um, I sort of, I, I, I'm guessing the weather's going to be uh, mild, which I think really helps the Saints in this one. I like the Saints in this football game. Um, I, yeah, I'm really interested. I think this game's going to be covered, uh, you know, very, very closely by a lot of the national media. You know, what is, what are the Green Bay Packers without Aaron Rodgers, and and how good is this team actually? And you always sort of can tell how good a team is when you take the quarterback off that football team. And we're we're seeing that the Vikings are a good team. They lost, shoot, they lost their starting quarterback last year. They lost their starting quarterback this year. And yet they're still leading the division. So uh, there's a lot of uh, intrigue about this football game. And I like the Saints, again, winning this game by, I think it might be even more than a touchdown, Uh, but we shall see.
1: Wow. I am actually going to go the other way um, because, number one, I don't love the Saints on the road. They've never been a very strong road team in my mind. They, they struggle away from their dome. And the Packers are very, 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 very good at home. They're 3-0 this season. I'm going to buy into what Mike McCarthy is selling just for a moment because he seems extremely confident in Brett Hundley. He's adamant that he is the answer this season. They're not going out to get anybody else. So there's got to be something to that. I mean, he's not a dumb guy. He clearly believes he has some sort of game plan for Hundley. He can use his legs pretty well. The Saints' defense isn't that good. So I will take the Packers to survive with Brett Hundley. And I'm always wary when the betting line goes for the road team. Uh, I like those home underdogs. So I'm going to go with the Packers to cover and win against the Saints.
0: I think this game for the Packers might be their, I mean, every game is the most important game of the year, but this game is going to sort of be the... The uh, the the beginning of whatever the Packers season is going to be. If they win this game, I think they're going to be in the hunt uh, in the NFC North. If they lose this game, this might start sort of a downward uh, fall, and and you know they lose two out of three get two you know two thirds of their games the rest of the season. I think it's just sort of that. That it's that. Sort of tipping point game for the for this football
1: team. Yeah, well, if they lay another egg with Hunley, then you know, then the negativity sets in, and they have two division games after that against the Lions and Bears. So their season could totally swing. Two more. We've got the Bears hosting the Panthers, where they play at home again. Bears have been good at home. Panthers have been good on the road. Something's got to give. Uh, Panthers favored by three in this one.
0: I sort of like what you said last time. The uh, I I sort of think the Panthers are going to win this game, but I'm sort of a good. I like what you said last time about uh, home teams who are the underdog. So I'm going to go with the home team as the underdog in this game. I'm going to go with the Bears.
1: Yeah, I'm tempted to as well. They go on the road and they win with Trubisky. So clearly Trubisky's feeling good. I think he improved from week one to week two of his season. I kind of like the Bears as well. Chicago might be a team that we shouldn't sleep on completely. It would just be classic NFL where a hot team like the Panthers you know they're four and two they're feeling good haven't lost on the road uh big name quarterback goes into Chicago and loses that would be sort of the indicative of the way this league is going so I'll go with the Bears as well and that brings us to the Vikings hosting the Ravens Minnesota pretty heavy favorite five and a half points against Baltimore is there any way the Vikings lose this game
0: well of course there's a way they lose it I hope (laughs) they don't lose it though so I'm going with the Vikings in this game and uh I think it'll be a good game. It's not going to be high scoring. Uh, I think it'll be uh, 2017 Vikings.
1: The last two times the Vikings and Ravens have played, it has been bonkers. And in fact, you were there for one of them—the game at the Dome, where I think you led 27-10 in the fourth quarter, and then Ray Rice led a charge back to take the lead. Favre led a game-winning field or go-ahead field goal drive. And then uh, Stephen Hauschka missed the game winner. What do you remember about that one?
0: Oh, I, I remember that game very well. Favre made some unbelievable throws in that game, uh, and I remember Ray Rice just picking apart our defense. It, it's we had this lead, and and uh, and our defense was sort of set up to play with the lead. You know, that Tampa two with the pass rushers and and sort of keep the ball in front of you, but Ray Rice just destroyed us. Just sort of took advantage of our linebackers. That game had a couple long runs had. a... I think caught caught a couple uh, screen passes or something and was off. And uh, yeah, that was one of those games that we very easily could have lost, but uh, it seemed like the the gods were on our side that year, at least at least during the preseason, or at least during the regular season.
1: Yeah, that was the final win in your six game winning streak to start the season. But but anyway, that game was nuts. Then there was the 2013 snow game where there were five touchdowns in the final three minutes, and the Ravens won with like one second on the clock. I'm kind of expecting another bizarre game. It just seems too easy. It seems too cut and dried for Minnesota. I think there's going to be some drama in the fourth quarter, but I do think Minnesota wins in a higher scoring game than people expect. I, I think a lot of people are, are anticipating a 2010 grinded out affair. I could see there being some fireworks in this one, and I think the Vikings get the job done. They move to 5-2. and two. So, We have one difference of opinion in the Packers Saints game and a chance for you to tie the score or maybe for me to lengthen the lead. We'll see. Those are our picks. And Sage will talk to you again on Monday and rehash all of it. Sounds great. Sage Rosenfels, the co host. I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. He's at Sage Rosenfels18. Locked on Vikings, locked on Podcast Network.